0: Good morning. Well, that's nice. Everybody said good morning back to me at nine o'clock too. That's rather nice. So today is week seven of our ten-week series on from fear to freedom. I was a bit worried when I saw the title, "The Spirit Speaks." Let me make it quite clear that I'm doing the speaking, but I do hope the spirit is working through me. <laughs> Although we may have periods of quiet when to allow the spirit to speak individually. It's a series designed to move us. And help us move us from COVID 19 and all that's thrown at us over the last 18 months, and prepare us as we move back into freedom. Now, views on what you and we all have been and are going through are inevitably the product of the baggages of our experience. It was uh, said to me about a year or so ago, an expression I've used quite a lot, is that whilst we've all been in the same storm, we've certainly not all been in the same boat. The reality is that Christine and I have been chugging along in the relative luxury of a spacious liner. Big house, big garden, various members of our family locked down with us at various times for company. But untold, numbers of others, including maybe some of you here or listening online, have been stuck in the equivalent of leaking rubber dinghies, locked down in houses with no space or garden, small flats or in a care home, experiencing isolation and, for many, fear. The fear of serious illness, if not death from COVID. Now, whatever our circumstances, surely we've all missed family and friends, but also wider communities like St. Paul's. And it was great praying at the beginning of the service here, just hearing the hubbub and the conversation that was going on as we begin to find a place where we can all gather again. So as we re-emerge or emerge back into freedom, how are we going to reclaim the best of what has happened in the past and then build What's going to be better in the future? I rather hesitate to use the phrase, but um, building back better comes to mind. (laughs) To help us in that, we're using John's gospel to look at how Jesus prepared and equipped his closest disciples, his apostles, for what was about to hit them as he headed for the cross. He wants them to be ready for big change, ready to be witnesses for him in a hostile world. Now, whilst the other Gospels focus more on what Jesus said and did, majoring, for example, on the parables, John's Gospel gives us a portrait of Jesus' inner life, his self-identity, often focusing on issues of belief rather than behaviour and emphasising Christ's relationship to the Father, that he was sent by the Father, that he is one with the Father, that he is obedient to the Father and that he is going back to the Father. And it was written to encourage us, I think, to live our lives in trust and obedience. John uses unforgettable imagery, recording Jesus' words to his disciples, that he is the bread of heaven, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life. That he is the door, the good shepherd, the way, the truth and the life. And that he is the true vine, as Simon shared with us earlier on in the series, that we are the branches and that to serve him well we must abide, must remain in him and no gospel tells us as much about the one who will provide the help for them to do so than John his chapter, first chapter testifies that Jesus received the Holy Spirit and that he will baptize others in it chapter 3 talks of the necessity of being born again in water and in spirit. Chapter 4, as the spirit, as living water, and the need to worship in spirit and in truth. And in chapter 7, one of my favorite uh, parts of, of this gospel, Jesus stands up at the great feast in Jerusalem, at the end of the long dry season, and declares that if anyone is thirsty, they should come to him. And that he would give them a spring of living water, the Holy Spirit, which never runs dry. And then we move into these chapters we've been studying over the last few weeks, chapters 14 to 16, which are full of references to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. The Spirit, says Jesus, of truth. Let's hear what today's passage from John 16 has to say. And come on up.
1: from chapter 16 verses 5 to 16. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where are you going? Rather you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I've much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive, me, receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a while you will see me. This is the word of the Lord.
0: The Greek name for the expression Holy Spirit means the one who stands by you or the one who is called alongside. He's the one that Jesus is going to send to the disciples after he's left them and he, the spirit of truth, will guide them into all truth and bring glory to to Jesus. As Liz said last week in her wonderful sermon, I don't know whether you've listened to it last week, but please if you haven't tried to do so and if you have listened to it, listen to it again, particularly those of you listening online as I did. We're so lucky having Liz and Simon and Tom and and, and Sophie and everybody who leads us through these services and into these sessions Um, and I thought she was wonderful last week and she talked about taking the smell of Jesus out into the world wherever we go. And that in doing so, it will provoke a reaction, often a negative one. Jesus warned, even promised the disciples, that the world would hate and persecute them. Why? Because his name carries with it truth. The truth, as we've just heard, of guilt, of sin and righteousness. The truth about condemnation for the prince of this world. And the truth of judgment. And the simple reality is that our world doesn't want to hear such truth. The root of sin is the deep-seated view that God doesn't have the right to tell me how to live my life. It was the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it still applies today. I'm in charge, and I will make my own choices. Thank you. So I want to examine this issue of truth to some degree, and then we can and then look at how we can witness to it. You probably remember one of my favorite readings again, Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, he warns the young Timothy that the time will come, he says, when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's a great expression. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Which I think is exactly where we are today. Those words may well have applied to other periods in history too. uh, But I sense that today is genuinely different. It's been well said, I think, that it takes three generations for Christian ethics to be eroded. The first generation neglects the Bible. The second... Forgets the beliefs and the third abandons the behaviours. And I think we're now well into the third generation. Over the last decades or so our nation has pushed back hard against biblical principles on issues affecting uh, the family, things like the beginning of life, the end of life and so on. And it's really hard, I'm sure you find the same, it's really hard keeping pace with what the latest pressure group is demanding. Now, we shouldn't forget that somewhere between four and four and a half million people go to some sort of Christian worship every week. Not necessarily every one of those going every week, but some going once every week, some going once a fortnight, once a month, some three or four times a year. So, collectively, several million people still come to places of Christian worship, which should encourage us. But the simple reality is, that the 60-plus million others in the UK are indifferent to Christ at best. Biblical teaching doesn't play well into today's debates or influence the outcomes much, if at all. And we need to see this reality as God sees it, and as he says it is. There are many enemy forces out there, forces determined to displace biblical values, replace biblical truth with relative truth in order to justify their excesses. Truth that is true for all time is now a rare commodity. And once society loses its respect for absolute timeless truth, there is, I would suggest, no anchor. And those trying to survive without the anchor of Christ's truth are blown by storms so severe that they become shipwrecked. What evil fears most is publicly spoken truth. It sees Christ's truth as belligerent. And when there is no God to pronounce on what is good or evil in order to check people's conscience, biblical morality is replaced by secular, atheistic morality. Christian morals and ethics replaced by secular regulations and laws to keep us in check. And truth pays the price. I think I've said here before the old expression that George Washington could never tell a lie. President Nixon could never tell the truth. Bill Clinton didn't know the difference. (laughs) And it's funny to agree but it absolutely encapsulates what I'm trying to put across here. You can't regulate or legislate for morality and all too easy the secular law as defined by those who framed it ceases to be an absolute and soon becomes an interpretation and a servant of relativism as the history of David Steele's 1967 Abortion Act bears witness. And I have to say that any future legislation on assisted suicide will bear the same witness. Whatever people say about the, uh, about the safeguards and so on. Lobby groups, politicians and the media increasingly manipulate truth to suit their own world view. And society is washed up on the beach. So what are we to do about all of this? One option, of course, is to retreat. Retreat into a bunker of safety. Stay home. Pull up the drawbridge and close the gates. In order to keep the advancing enemy forces out. And this would, of course, suit the devil perfectly. (laughs) Scripture tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail over God's truth. So not surprisingly, Satan is determined to keep that truth out of the world. He also knows that once we stop telling God's truth to others, we cease telling it to ourselves. And that we too will then wither and die. Nothing would suit Satan better than for us to pull out of this fight. I've often said before that truth is true even if no one believes it, just as lies are lies even if everyone believes them. So unless we're prepared to pay the price of a lack of biblical truth in our society, face up to the consequences of the UK's spiritual bondage, including the impact on our children, And on our grandchildren, we need to engage. So how do we do that? Well, in Mike's prayers, he talked about the fact that Paul called us to be ambassadors. And you may remember that last week, Liz also talked about us as ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ in a foreign land. God's people upholding the values of his kingdom in an alien world. And that struck a real chord with me. Some of you may know that I work with Theos, a Christian think tank based in London. And FIOS, a couple of years ago, reinvented itself as literally an embassy from which it sends out ambassadors, of which I'm one. It's done that because we came to realise, as, exactly as Liz said, that the UK's language, its culture, its values are not what they once were. We as Christians are now operating in a foreign land. And ambassadors establish diplomatic conversations. And Theos now starts these conversations recognizing that everyone is a person of faith. Everyone. Be they atheist, agnostic, humanist, whatever. And we start those conversations by explaining that everyone who sees the world through the prism of their beliefs makes their moral and their ethical choices based on those beliefs. As Christians, we need to understand the worldview of those living in this foreign land and be prepared to discuss and challenge them, engage with them, as ambassadors do in the embassies and in the societies that they're sent to. Let's just watch this clip, which is a Theos clip uh, that they released r- relatively recently and uh, see and what it has to say. has to say. Stefan, thank Stephane. you.
2: What is your view of the world? How do you see things? What makes you who you are? Mm -hmm. On what do you base your decisions? Why did you react like that? Do you believe in God or a higher power? Or do you see the world as a cocktail of chance and accident? Everyone has a worldview, whether religious or not. Each individual sees the world through a certain lens. It may be shaped by your upbringing, surroundings, or religion. And it can change as you move through life. Worldview can be both personal and organized. It is your attitudes and deeply held beliefs. It shapes how you live. It's important to think about your own worldview. Where do you think truth lies? What about the worldviews of those around you? Do you understand them? They may not be as similar to yours as you expect. Or perhaps your worldviews will be more alike. Some people may feel that life is about success and improvement, being the best you can be. And some think it's about helping the most vulnerable in society. Others may believe belonging to a group is vital for finding meaning, while another treasures belonging to the Earth in all its beauty. And still, most of us will not see the world through only one lens, but rather through a blend of multiple visions. In an increasingly pluralistic society, Understanding the world around us means realising that there is no neutral perspective. Nobody stands nowhere. Do you know where you stand? And why?
0: There are no neutral perspectives. Nobody stands nowhere. And that final question I think is just great. Do you know where you stand? And why? Amongst others, I had this uh, sort of conversation some time ago, probably five years ago now, uh, with a Channel 4 reporter, a rather cynical, atheistic guy who used to give me a hard time over all sorts of stuff. And he was giving me a hard time over my Christian faith, telling me that as an army general, I should keep my Christian faith behind closed doors, out of the public square. In return I challenged him that as an atheist he too was a man of faith and that the way he reported on events clearly reflected that. I added that he was perfectly entitled to follow his own faith as long as he understood where he stood and why and he realized the consequences. All choices carry consequences. That there are no neutral perspectives. Nobody stands nowhere. And I, as a Christian, was perfectly entitled to take my faith out with me into the world and do my best to live it out in the decisions that I took. Now, I think that sort of Theos clip can open up such conversations, as can other things. You'll you'll all have uh, things that you can think of in the context of this. Uh, Theos also produced a thing called the Sacred Podcast. If you haven't looked at their website, clearly I would encourage you to do that. But how we open up conversations in our homes, with our families, in schools, for those of you who are teaching in schools. That sort of video clip will help open up a conversation. And indeed at workplace or elsewhere, encouraging people to think through their own worldview and how this impacts their lives. And then in those conversations, as Peter says in his first letter, chapter 3, I think it is, verse 15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you what is the reason that you have for your hope in Christ. But then he adds, and this is crucial I think, in today's world where half the people go around waiting to be offended by the other half, we should do that with gentleness and respect, with diplomacy. So with our worldview rooted in God's view, rooted in Christ as our foundation, we tell our stories. What some might call an elevator pitch. You may have heard that expression. A story that can be shared with someone in a couple of minutes or so as you travelled from the ground floor to, say, the 20th floor of a block of flats or a, a business somewhere that you work. Here's Christina's story.
1: Hello,
3: everyone. I'm Christina. Around two years ago, I came to my first service at St Paul's Church with my two girls. And at that point, I was feeling very confused about my faith. I was born in a, into a Catholic family in Brazil of churchgoers. I myself went to church every Sunday until my teens. So coming to St. Paul's felt a little bit like I was disappointing God. <laughs> uh, however, my relationship with Jesus didn't start straight away. I think it was, I can truly say that it was during lockdown. I did an alpha course in August and I've learned so much. Um, And then after that, I was just more, I was feeling hungry for more. So I wanted, I started researching, I watched lots of videos. And... Yeah, and then it wasn't a specific moment. It was just dif- days and days where I just felt more and more connected to Jesus. Um, and I can say the life before Jesus, that's the big difference for me. Life before Jesus was for the future. I just had hopes that everything would get better for me. I had a hope. I hoped for a better house. I hoped for a better, for better Behave, children. I hope for a better job. I wasn't really worried about the present. I just did enjoy my, my, my life at that moment. But I, I was okay because I knew, okay, in, the, in a few years' time, everything will be fine. But it's now that I have Jesus in the center of my life. I want to make sure that my family is happy, that I am happy, and I'm following the word of God. And that's the biggest change Jesus, Jesus has made in my life.
0: Christina's not here, I don't think. She normally attends the... T- oh, she is. Well done. Thank you, Christina. Bless you. It was very strong, very powerful. We're all in different places. We're all in different phases of our lives. But we all have stories to tell. No one can discount your personal story. Your experience cannot be denied by others. So what would you say to someone who asks, for example, about your faith? What's your elevator pitch? Stories are powerful things, and the way that the good Lord sometimes operates, as I got in the car to drive for the 9 o'clock service this morning, I always listen to the um, Radio 4 service at 8 o'clock on a Sunday, and today's service, the whole service, was taken up by stories. And if you have the inclination to do so when you go home, maybe when you've got 10 minutes. Just click on to Radio 4 uh, service today and and have a listen. And of course, Christ is the greatest storyteller of all. Your story may be about the enduring faithfulness of God and his people, about, about how you've been helped through this difficult time, the time of the pandemic. It doesn't have to be dramatic or spiced up. Perhaps simply... Why do you come to church? But it should be Christ-centric about what it is that Jesus has done in your life. What difference he makes. What do you want others to know about Jesus? About your faith? And about your faith community? So where does all this take us? If we're to move from fear to freedom as we emerge from this pandemic, move from the defensive to the offensive. We need to move away from the fear of what bad people can and indeed are doing into the realization of what a good God can and will do if we're only prepared to join him and press on. Dr. Johnson once said that doing nothing is in everyone's power. Doing nothing is in everyone's Power. Jesus knew that, which is why he sent his disciples out, accompanied by the spirit of all truth. His truth is our only anchor in this storm of spiritual warfare. He is our immune system, protecting us from the enemy. The early churches were, I think, communities who served each other, loved each other, spent time with each other trusted each other. Communities who knew in their hearts that they needed to hold firm to what they knew to be true, so that they could carry on to the end despite the opposition, hold on to the vision, trusting that justice and righteousness will ultimately prevail in this world or the next. They were communities of courage. They knew that doing God's will in a fallen world is inherently dangerous and that you can't be both brave and safe. That choosing to be courageous meant choosing not to be safe. It's the same for us and as we emerge from this pandemic how are we going to be a community that serves each other, loves each other, trusts each other, spends time with each other. This is why Becca and the video we had at the beginning, the all Together weekend that's coming up. Now, some of us are going to be away, and not everybody will be able to come, but, but those sorts of events and the things that we do here at St. Paul's are all designed to encourage us to be a community of courage. And I think that we will be increasingly called upon to stand firm for justice and righteousness. You, you will see all the press reports, as do I, they... The latest one I saw fairly recently was the uh, the rector who gave a talk at Nottingham University to the students, telling them they have to make up their own choices about these events that are going on in the world, the so-called woke community and so on. And he was sacked for his trouble. The university said that they would in future vet his sermons. Now, I've said a few times, and I don't say it lightly, there may well come a day when somebody walks in the back of this church and hauls me or Simon or Sophie or Tom or this, off, or takes us to court over what we've preached. The gospel of Christ is offensive to people. It's about sin and judgment. And it's all a question for us in the end of do we think God can be trusted, whether or not we think God can be trusted. And if our lives following Jesus don't feel dangerous, then I think we should probably pause and check to see if it's Jesus' That we're actually following courage like fear is contagious and so we at St. Paul's must I believe build a community of courage built around the certain knowledge that the spirit of truth is available to guide us into all truth so as we move from fear into freedom let's go out as ambassadors Go out remembering that we carry Christ's life in our veins. Go out as pilgrims and seek out danger. Seek stimulation in the company of the brave. And pitch our very souls into this spiritual battle that we are living in, in this third generation. Amen.